Coming alongside someone to help them move forward in their walk with Jesus. Next on Abounding Grace. This is amazing grace. Well, I bet you can think of a time in your life when you just weren't at a good place with the Lord. And then along came another Christian that gave you a much needed nudge, pushing you to move forward in Christ. That was the gift of exhortation in action, and it's so needed in the body of Christ. Maybe it's a gift you've been given. We'll learn more about it today on Abounding Grace and see how it was exercised in the early church too. Pastor Ed Taylor is here to continue our series in the Gospel of John. Turn over to Acts chapter 4 as we see a, an instance, really two instances, one by word and one by deed of exhortation. Because your life can be an exhortation to people as you obediently do what God has called you to do. So it's not just in word, but also in deed. And in Acts chapter 4, we have an example of Barnabas and Peter, both operating in this gifting. Notice in verse 42, excuse me, verse 32 of Acts chapter 4. Now when the multitude of those who believed were of one heart and one soul, neither did anyone say that any of the things he possessed was his own, but they had all things in common. And with great power the apostles gave witness to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. It's a great time in the church, just flourishing. Nor was there anyone among them who lacked, for all who were possessors of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of the things that were sold and laid them at the apostles' feet and they distributed to each one as anyone had need. But then verse 36, there's a special, it's, it's separated on purpose. This guy named Joseph, who's also known as Barnabas by the apostles, he's a Levite of the country of Cyprus, having land, sold it and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. It must have been something dramatic about Barnabas, something that God really wanted to point out that what, what was happening here was different than everyone else. And maybe it was a larger piece of land, maybe it was just demonstrative of a brother who had a lot and just gave it completely. But then in chapter 5, we find that Ananias and Sapphira were sort of, you know, inspired by Barnabas, and they decide to sell a piece of land too. And they decide to give the proceeds to the church as well. But they did something different. In their secret discussions and their talk to one another, they came up with a plan. And their plan was this. We're going to sell our land, but we're only going to bring half of it to the church, but we're going to pretend that it was all of it. Okay, is that all right, honey? Yeah, it's all right. Which, guys, you're married men and women. Don't ever encourage your spouse to compromise. Don't ever do that. And hopefully as a spouse, if, if your spouse is, is encouraging you to compromise, don't do it. Because here, they did just that. And notice, 
they kept part, in verse 2, he kept back part of the proceeds, and his wife was aware of it, and they brought a certain part, verse 2, and laid it at the apostles' feet. And here's, I would say this is a pretty strong exhortation. Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit? And keep back part of the price of the land for yourself. You know, it's operating with a word of wisdom. It's operating with a word of knowledge and a strong exhortation. While it remained, was it not your own? And after it was sold, was it not in your own control? Why have you conceived this thing in your heart? You have not lied to men, but to God. I don't think at this moment, Peter has any idea what God's going to do. Because if you read the rest of the text, Ananias lost his life in the instant for this disobedience. And his wife came in a little bit later, had the chance to make it right. She continued to lie. She lost her life as well, literally. One of the things I learned from this is exhortation can be hard. The Lord gives you a word and go, you, you know, imagine. You have to look someone in the eye and go, you're lying. I don't know what the truth is right now, but you're lying. I don't know how it all went down, but you're not telling the truth. That's a hard thing to say. Uh, as a matter of fact, those of you with the gift of exhortation, you, you often don't operate in that because you're afraid that you're wrong. So you're not sure if it's from the Lord or it's from you, and so you just kind of wait. And you know, the Lord always brings out, so it's okay if you're pausing and waiting for confirmation. But, but there's a pause because like, sometimes God gives you a word like this. The other thing I learned about Acts 5 is I'm just personally grateful that God doesn't deal with us now like he did with Ananias and Sapphira. Because the church would be empty of our weaknesses and our failures that we bring, the inconsistencies and things. I'm grateful for Jesus who died for the forgive me of my sins, that his grace is never ending in my life. And you know, I've got, I've got a long way to go in my walk with the Lord, but I'm grateful for how far I've come. I'm grateful for what God has done in my life. And I want you to be too, grateful what God's doing in your life grateful for how far he's brought you, how far you have walked. And maybe you're going to have an exhortation here and there. Somebody's going to be sent to, to come and give you a strong word to move you forward. And just keep that in mind. Exhorters, you just kind of, you know, you might want to create a shirt with a little push thing, you know, 3D. I'm an exhorter. I'm an, just know I'm an exhorter. Okay, brother, don't push me in never, ever again. But we need it. And God's always gracious to send it. He's always gracious. Before we leave, I want to look at some of the dangers, and I want to give you a few things uh, when you open up the Word with somebody. But dangers for those that have the gift of exhortation. Number one, a person with the gift of exhortation can easily be discouraged. Discouragement comes with this gift, and let me tell you why. One of the reasons why is because those that you're trying to encourage those that you invested your life in, those that you've given, spent hours together in the Word, don't listen to you. And that's very discouraging. You can pray for the pastors here and the lay leaders that are often serving men and women and boys and girls that come through our church and come through our school. Because we often are giving counsel, I mean, especially with marriages. So one of the most discouraging things that we experience is we'll pour into a marriage and pour into a marriage and pour into a marriage and then get an email. We don't want to talk anymore. We're not coming to our next, um, our next appointment. We're getting a divorce. You know, our hearts just sink. I, I, you know, I, I know when that's happened to me, I'm like, we were so close. You were making such great progress. And, and I'll write back, well, what happened? We got to talk. Maybe it was just an argument we can get around, but hearts were hardened. And you just pray for those that have to face that. I mean, exhortation can be discouraging. 
You, you give the word, and you know, another reason why you get discouraged is because people will avoid you. <laughs> you're walking down the hallway. I mean, you're walking at Safeway, and then you see them, you go, hey, bro, bro, brother, brother, where are you going? And they're running down the aisle, you know, getting the, get away. I don't want to talk to you anymore. I'm sick of being pushed. People avoid you. They don't return your texts anymore. They don't return your phone calls. That's discouraging. But you got to keep give, you got to keep moving with your gift. You got to keep moving with your gift. Number two, people with the gift of exhortation have a tendency to overcommit themselves. It's a very similar gift as the gift of mercy. Excuse me, the gift of service. Because the gift of service, you know, the kind of person that has the gift of service sees a need, does it. Sees a need, does it. You see, you see trash on the parking lot. A thousand people walked over it, but you see it, pick it up and take care of it. Why? Because that's what you do. You're a, you're a servant. You see a need, you take care of it. Well, it's the same with exhortation, except you see a need in a person's life quicker than other people do. You see something on their face. You, you have uh, watched their lives. Maybe they haven't been around for a while or whatever it might be. You see a need, and what happens is you overcommit yourself. You know, the first time you meet somebody, you give them their phone number, give them your email. That's just, hey, call me if you need anything. I'll answer your questions, and I'll help you. And, and you do that to a couple hundred people, and you can't keep up. And so you overcommit yourself. And you need to be careful. You need to learn how to say the word no, just like with the gift of service, or learn how to schedule things and keep things, or raising people up to help you because you can't do it yourself. You can't do everything, but you must do something. But because you see the needs, you might even neglect your own spiritual life. You know, there you are helping everybody else in your life, in your marriage, and your, everything about you is falling apart. But you got good counsel for someone else. That's not God's order. Home base first, and everything from there. Thirdly, a person with the gift of exhortation can be overwhelmed by all the needs because you have a special sensitivity. And I mentioned the word divorce, and some of you, your heart sank. And some of you asked in your mind, did somebody really send an email like that? And you just begin to pray for them. And the answer is yes. We just got an email like that last week. Yes. And, and I mentioned uh, some issue that's going on in, in life. You know, somebody that's financially struggling, your heart just, oh, you feel it. And you want to do something about it. And you're just overwhelmed because you see so much. And you kind of wish, you, you have a friend that's gifted in a different way and they don't see anything and you see everything and you kind of wish you were like your friend sometimes because you're just overwhelmed with it all. The world's so broken. Believers are so hurt. This world is so crushing people's lives. And because you're geared to see all the needs around you, you can easily be overwhelmed by them. The problems, the issues, the needs, you see a lot of them. As a matter of fact, you may even have a hard time watching or reading the news for that very reason. You just can't watch it anymore. And so the habit, you know, to add the, with the gift of exhortation is to develop and cultivate the habit of really looking for the good to balance off and be, you know, all the bad that's around. Number four, for the person with the gift of uh, exhortation, a pitfall for you is you can lack or break confidentiality. And you don't want to do that. When you come alongside someone who's hurting, they may tell you in the rawness of their life things at that time in their lives that they don't want shared with it. They've never shared with anyone else, but they trust you. And so many times when people are sharing with us, what they're shared with us are not to be shared with anyone else. 
They're just simply to be taken to the Lord in prayer. I mean, of course, if something's illegal, we need to involve the law enforcement. If something's immoral, we need to really meet that person where they're at and take care of it. We don't keep that confidential. But confidentiality is very important. People need to be able to trust you so that your gift can be exercised in their lives. And you might just let it go, or you might just say something, or you might break someone's confidence and then really lose the opportunity to go right into their lives and speak into their lives. It's vital that you keep someone's confidence and not share that information unless it's illegal or immoral because we don't have a false sense of privacy or some vow of privacy. If it's illegal or immoral, we need to do always do the right thing, always. Number five, another danger that can happen with those with this gift is you begin to give your opinions instead of the Word of God. What do I mean by that? Well, you're ministering to so many people and God is using you in so many wonderful ways that over time, you may start to lean on your own understanding when you're giving counsel and just giving your opinion. Your opinion sounds things like this. Well, you know, if I was in your shoes, this is what I would do. Well, you're not in their shoes. So you need to tell them what the Bible says so that they can do it in their shoes. Or, you know, when I went through that 30 years ago, um, this, is what, this is really what you need to do because I did it 30 years ago. No, you need to tell them this is what the Bible says. And, you know, God really blessed me with the Bible 30 years ago. And I believe he can do the same thing in your life. But, but you're not going to give your opinion. You're, you're going to walk alongside of them because ultimately God, through his Holy Spirit, is the ultimate counselor. We're just tools in his hand with his word. And the Bible says this is a failure we make so often. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5 and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. Acknowledge Him in all your ways. He'll direct your paths. But you want to start giving opinions. Truly, somebody might ask for your opinion, but they don't need your opinion. They need the Word of God. That's what's going to change. The Word of God is living and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword. The Word of God will not return to God empty. But your opinions, they change all the time. You think about some strong belief you held 10 years ago and how through maturity and circumstances, you're completely different now. We don't need your opinions. We need the Word of God. That's what God uses to disciple us, and that's what a true exhortation comes through His Word. Now, before we leave, I'm going to give you five more good guidelines for when you open up the Word to someone, not only with the gift of exhortation, but also when you're just sitting down with someone, opening the Word to them. Because that's really what exhorters do. They sit down with the Bible, offering spiritual help and biblical encouragement. Oftentimes we might refer to that as biblical counsel, but I don't really use that phrase. I don't think, we, I don't think that phrase really, really describes what we do here. If you call the office and you ask for counseling, we're going to call it biblical discipleship because that's what we're doing. We're going to give you discipleship so you can follow Jesus better. That, that's really what. But for the sake of understanding what that word means, when you're giving counsel, when you're talking to somebody about their life, you're opening the Bible, these are really good goals. Number one, when you're sharing, whether you have the gift of exhortation or you're just opening the word, number one, don't make their decisions for them. Don't make their decisions for them. Be careful not to tell them what they have to do, but rather instead share with them what God, God's Word tells them to do and pray that they will do it. Don't make their decisions for them. And I know there are times when, especially those of you parents, you just, you know, you see your kids stumbling, you see your kid going through, and you just want to help them. 
But stumbling and going through it is part of the learning process. And the help you want to give them is take your hands off and let, let them learn. And that's so much true. It's so true for us as we're opening the Word to you. We, man, we're not going to make the decision for you. And you might even come in, just tell me what I need to do. Well, this is what the Bible says. You tell me what you need to do. And just lead them down that path, drawing out for them the wisdom of the Holy Spirit that's already in them. And if you're talking to an unbeliever, there's only one solution, isn't it? You need to be born again. <laughs> that's it. That's the beginning of counsel. You need to be born again. It's evangelistic as you're ministering to them and their hurts and their needs. Number two, when you're with someone, discipling them, mentoring them, serving them, learn to listen. Cultivate a listening ear. Now, of course, we all think we're good listeners, but there's a significant difference between hearing someone and listening to them. Big difference. Hearing what they say, but not really paying attention to what they're saying. Two things. We need to learn how to listen. One of the best ways for this gift to be used through a person is one who listens and listens carefully. In our listening, being careful to not interrupt them and to ask questions like, what makes you feel this way? Or how long has it been going on? To lead and draw out of them from the depths of their soul. Let me just say this. One of the biggest mistakes that we make when we are listening or lack of, lack thereof, and I'm sure you've done this, but we need to learn how to listen in such a way that while the person is talking, we are not developing our answer and waiting for them to take a breath and then jump in and cut them off. Come on, have you guys ever done that? Of course. We're, we're wanting, especially in heated arguments, we want to get our point across and what about this and you don't understand. Listen and, and listen by just keeping your mind open to the person in front of you and don't try to figure out how you're going to answer until they're done. And maybe even after they're done, before you have anything to say, you may have a question. Did I hear you correctly? Is this what you feel? Like, is this what I, did I hear? And then after the clarification, go, well, this is what the Bible says, or this is the reality of the situation, or whatever it might be. But learn to listen. Listening will take you a long way. Number three, fight the tendency to let people become dependent upon you. Fight the tendency in allowing people to become dependent upon you. We are making, as believers, disciples of Jesus Christ. We are not making disciples of ourselves. So we need to keep pointing people to Jesus Christ and not allowing them to attach themselves to us, which can bring frustration in people's lives because there's a tendency to do that. Don't allow people to become emotionally attached to you and dependent upon you. Instead, we desire for them to have a strong attachment to Jesus, the wonderful counselor, mighty God. Even though you may have poured hours of, of your life into someone, you need to know when to let them go or when to move them on toward the things of the Lord. And emotional attachments are not good. Uh, they're very, very dangerous. Uh, and they lead to all kinds of things that aren't helpful and not spiritual, spiritually healthy. And you have to fight the ten t tendency, too, because people are looking out and looking to you all the time, to you not to help develop that, and make people dependent upon you. I love how that works, operates in my life as a pastor and having the privilege of serving so many and being surrounded by such a great team here that, you know, if you, if you send me a, a Facebook message, I just want you to know I hardly ever check those, ever. 
I don't carry it on my phone, and, and I don't even go through my feed all that much. I just post. I use it as an encouragement tool, and I post, post, post. So you might send me something on Facebook, and if you got a quick response, it just happened to be the day I checked it. Otherwise, there could be things sitting in there for weeks. If you want to communicate with me, the best way to do that is call the office or email me. That's the best way. And sometimes people will call or leave a question or, you know, I go on a trip and by the time I get to it, it's like, wow, this was a serious question. And, and by the time I respond, maybe a week or two later because of the way they sent it or I didn't get a message or I'm way out of the country or whatever, I call them up and they say, oh, don't worry about it, Ed. I didn't need you after all the Lord solved it. And that's the right way. That's the right response. Instead of saying, I can't believe you didn't answer me. Where are you, Ed? Well, now you know anybody that's been waiting for faith. You say, I've been waiting two years for you to answer my Facebook post. Man, email me. It'll be much faster. Call the office. I'll return your phone call. You know, we'll, we'll serve you that way. But it was just recently I was, I was down. Like Wednesday night, I was feeling sick. I was, so I got, I got home and I've been sick all week. It's been a bummer. And I finally got up like maybe Saturday. I checked my phone and, and I went through and I'm like, man, a brother from Florida, a pastor friend of mine, left me a voicemail. So I listened to it uh, three days later and, and he says, hey, I got a big issue in my church. Can you just call me? I want to ask you some questions. And I'm like, I still wasn't had enough strength to, uh, to, to call him. So I text him. I say, bro, I'm sorry. I've been sick all week, but I'll call you next week when I'm feeling better. And his text reply was awesome. He says, no, I don't need you anymore. God sol solved it. I'm like, yes. You got to have that kind of relationship with people where you are not absolutely dependent upon people in your life because you may call them and they won't answer the phone. It's not because they don't love you. It's because they left it or the battery ran out. You may email them and they don't see it because it got popped in some spam box. And who checks their spam box anyway? And like it's not personal, but you call upon the Lord, he will answer in your time of need. You turn your heart to the things of God, he will be faithful to you. Even when we are faithless, Jesus remains faithful. So when you're ministering to people, resist that emotional attachment. We've been talking about the gift of exhortation today on Abounding Grace. It's part of Ed Taylor's series in the Gospel of John. We hope you're getting a lot out of it. If you'd like to hear it again, go to AboundingGraceRadio.com. We also offer the program by podcast. Look for us wherever you get your podcasts. And another way to listen to Pastor Ed's teachings is through our mobile app. Do a search for Ed Taylor. Thank you for your support of Abounding Grace. It does make a difference. Your donation today will help us present God's Word over the radio tomorrow. We're consistently receiving wonderful reports from listeners all over the world of how God is using the Word to help them grow by God's abounding grace. You're helping to make that possible. And when you support this ministry today with a gift of $25 or more, you're invited to request a copy of Pastor Ed's book, Sure and Steady. Now, this was written to encourage those in pastoral ministry. The work of a pastor is not easy, often unpredictable, and full of challenges and discouragements. As you may know, this is Pastor Appreciation Month. So why not order a copy of Sure and Steady and give it to your pastor as a way of showing your appreciation to him? I know they'll be encouraged as they read Sure and Steady. Just call 877-30-GRACE. That's 877-30-GRACE. You can also order it online at calvaryco.store. And if you'd like to just make a donation and aren't interested in the resource, go online to aboundinggraceradio.com. Pastor Ed, the Refresh Ministry Conference is coming up later this week, and it's not too late for our listeners to register and join us, is it? 
You know, Larry, it's not too late. You're right to join us for this year's Refresh Ministry Conference. We have people coming in from all over the country. You know, this conference is set up like a conference that's not a conference. There'll be a lot of worship. There'll be some Bible studies. Of course, we're going to keep our eyes and our focus on the Lord, but we're also going to have a lot of different activities, time for you to connect with other ministry, like-minded ministry servants. Uh, There'll be pastors, leaders here. We're expecting a full house as each year it grows, and we want you to be a part of it. Go to our website, calvaryco.church slash refresh, calvaryco.church slash refresh. And it's open to anyone. It's not a pastor's conference. It's a ministry conference. And that means those of you that are serving, your spouses, your kids, come on out, be encouraged, be built up, go back to your church, go back to your ministry stronger than when you came. And it's a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful time of the year to have a conference. To register for the Refresh Conference, just go to calvaryco.church on the web. Well, that's all the time we have for today, but do come back next time when we'll resume Pastor Ed Taylor's study of the Gospel of John on Abounding Grace. This is amazing grace. This is unfailing love. That you would take my place. That you would bear my cross. You Abounding Grace is brought to you by Calvary Church, Colorado, here in Aurora.